Well, welcome back to the podcast. It is Tuesday, and this is our first episode this week because yesterday was a uh, was a holiday, and so we did not uh, did not get around to recording one. But today, as we dive back in, we are in Numbers 15 still, and we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 29. I, I think in the last podcast, I made a mistake and said we were looking, ending at verse 20, but it was actually verse 21. You ever have that problem? You look at the scripture passage and the little verse numbers are kind of hard to see. I guess I just didn't pay attention to that last time. But today we're continuing in chapter 15 of part 3 of Sacrifices in the Promised Land. Sacrifices in the Promised Land. So let's kind of reorient ourselves to what's going on here. It's been a few days since we have studied in this passage together. And what we see going on in this passage is the Lord is making promises. He's reminding the children of Israel on the heels of telling them that a generation is going to die off in the wilderness. It's going to be the children who will grow up and will go to not be victims, but victors in the land. And there are promises where the Lord is speaking about, here's what you do when you go into the promised land. Here's how you're going to live. Here's how you're going to worship. Here's how you're going to do things. And the interesting thing here in chapter 15, verses 22 through 29 today, is we are going to see the Lord deal with unintentional sin. Now, after this, the Lord is going to deal with defiant or willful sin. And we'll get into that next time. But today, we're just going to focus on the reality of unintentional sins. And we're going to see how the Lord makes provision. And I think we're going to see some really powerful applications to the, the fulfillment of the new covenant as well. So let's dive in today, starting in verse 22. If you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses, from the day the Lord gave you the commandment onward throughout your generations, then it will be, if it is unintentionally committed without the knowledge of the congregation, that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma to the Lord, with its grain offering, with its drink offering, according to the ordinance, and one kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. They shall bring their offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for the unintended sin. It shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger who dwells among them because all the people did it unintentionally. Verse 27. And if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. When he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. And you shall have one law for him who sits sins pardon me, unintentionally for him who is native born among the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwells among them. So we see several observations here. And I'm not going to go into what each of the particular offerings represents. We've dove into that in the past. And you can go back and, and really study in Exodus to learn more about that. Um, go back and, and find those episodes on the YouTube channel. But I think we notice some main big picture observations today. And that is, number one, 
If you sin unintentionally, here's what you do. The Lord makes provision on how to deal with unintentional sins, how to deal with blind spots and things that you're not aware of, how to have, quote-unquote, blood covering, even when you're not aware. The other thing I think that we see is the very nature of unintentional sin had to do with the fact, and this even is part of the passage, has to do with the fact that you have not observed, you have not obeyed fully what I have given you. Now what did Jesus incidentally say in the Great Commission? To go and to make disciples, teaching them to observe all the things he has commanded. To teach obedience. It's still the same issue. The Lord still is after our obedience. He still knows that obedience is good for us. It's for His glory, but it's also for our good. And so when we have not observed, we've not obeyed fully, that is when there's been unintentional consequences. Unintentional sin. We see that there are two types, then, of ways in which atonement can be made. And atonement is the covering for the sin. Atonement can be made both corporately for the whole congregation and individually, personally. We see the Lord provides both. So those are some observations. Let's now apply them. The applications are very intertwined today with, with what we observe in the passage. Unintentional, unknown sin is different than blatant, defiant sin. Okay, Choosing to live in rebellion, choosing volitionally to defy what the Lord has said is a different type of sin than unintentional sin. Now, both are sins. I want to be clear about that. Both are, both are wrong, but it's different. If you have a child and your child uh, does something that they're not supposed to do, they break a rule or something, but it was unintentional, it was not in open defiance. That's much different than if your child is rebelling against you and being openly defiant uh, in whatever the household rule is. They're, they're doing what's wrong. The way that you're going to address that as a parent is going to be different. It's still wrong, but there is a greater grace when somebody has not been defiant and they're broken and they're, they're um, not aware right? We tend to be a little more gracious. And I think that we see the same type of illustration with how the Lord reacts to this amongst his people. Now, sin, to put it very simply, as someone has defined it, sin is simply any thought, word, or deed that breaks God's heart. We can sin in our thoughts. Jesus talked about how the mouth speaks uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah, so we think in our heart, we can have sin in our heart. We can be bitter. We can have evil thoughts within our hearts. Our deeds our, our deeds and what we do can be wrong, but not just what we do. Our very words can reveal the sin that's in our heart. And our, we can sin with our mouth. We can be presumptuous. We can be rude. We can be cruel. We can be hateful all through our mouth. And also privately in the deep recesses of our heart. The truth is that sin covers all of those different ways. All, all those different aspects of our being. And very subtly, deception and sin constantly is trying to creep into our heart. And, and, and the result of that deception is sin. And, and, and pride is a constant battle. 
And I would dare say that pride is the root of all sin when it's about me. The middle of that word sin, someone has said, is the letter I. When it's all about me, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, and that's how I make my decisions, then I'm going to be living in sin. And pride, a self-focus and a selfish focus, is a constant battle as human beings on this earth. We live in a fallen creation. We are sinners by nature and by choice. We are redeemed only by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. We discover that we cannot be good enough. I remember being at a, a conference one time. I think it was a conference, or it may have been a recording of the, the conference, where the speaker was talking about how he was parenting his children, and his, his child finally came to the point of, of saying, Daddy, I just can't be good enough. They had, they had messed up somehow, and they were going to have to experience some consequences for that. And, and the, this father exclaimed uh, in, in a very loud voice as he was sharing this story, Praise God, you finally get it. You can't be good enough. That's why we need Jesus. And, and he was able to talk about how that could be an enormous teaching moment. I, I think that uh, he had a very right view of that. We have to acknowledge the fact as human beings that we are not self-sufficient, we are not perfect, and we can never be good enough. We strive and we work very hard as human beings to achieve, and at times we even self-deceive ourselves. But the truth is we cannot be good enough. Do you believe that today? Do you know that to be reality? Will you admit that today, that you cannot be good enough? The good news of Jesus coming and paying the debt that you and I could not pay is only good news if we understand we cannot be good enough. And it's only good news if we repent and trust in Christ alone as our forgiveness. My salvation and your salvation is not dependent upon our performance. It's not dependent upon how good I can be today or tomorrow. It's dependent wholly and completely upon the same one who shed his blood for it, and that is Jesus Christ, the living Son of God, resurrected and ascended and coming again. As believers, we cry out. I think this is kind of a, a second overlapping or or continuing on application of that principle. The believer cries out for the Lord's redemption and longs for the day when temptations and battle with sin will be swallowed up in complete victory. We long for the day when we will step into eternity and this battle against sin and this battle against temptation is over. We long for that day, but that day is not yet. Until then... He or she, any, any Christian, lives a life of repentance. We are to confess and forsake sin as the Spirit of God convicts us and continues to transform us to become more and more like Christ. This is an ongoing process of change, and the Lord gets glory and He gets a witness through it. As the Lord continues to show us by His Spirit a sin to forsake, a sin to repent of, and transforms that area of our character by the power of Jesus Christ. And then shows us another thing. And another thing is we continue to walk on in our life. We continue to be transformed from glory to glory. We continue to glorify the Lord. And to continue to be changed by the power of the gospel. And that is also a powerful witness. Many people want to doubt the efficacy and the 
the truthfulness of the Christian message, the, to doubt that the this gospel message is truly effective, that it truly changes people. That's what I mean by efficacy, and, and that it truly is the truth. People fight that. People resist that. But you cannot argue with the facts that countless millions of people with no major platform, not widely known, they aren't, they aren't super famous or anything, but they have lived a life of following Christ, continuing to become more and more like Him, and their life is a living testimony to the power of the Spirit of God which lives within them. It's a testimony to the power of the transforming of Jesus Christ within their heart. It's a witness, and it brings God much glory. It increases our individual praise of Him. It increases our corporate praise as all of us as believers gather together, recognizing these truths about our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. We cry out hallelujah and glory to the one who paid it all, and all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But we've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Not only does the Lord get glory from our lips, individually and corporately, and from our lives, but he gets a witness. He has a living, representative symbol in the world through each and every one of us, and collectively through the body of Christ as the church. So we see connections here that have to deal with the reality of our sinful condition and our human condition. I think we're also reminded of the truth that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. It's blood covering that we need for both the things that we have done of our own choice knowingly and the things that we have done unknowingly. Now, we're going to get into a little bit more about willful sin next time, uh, Lord willing. And we're going to see how the Bible speaks, uh, I believe it's in the book of Hebrews, on how there is no covering for willful sin. And we'll dig into a little bit more what that means. Uh, but I think to just make sure that I kind of clarify that one point, I believe what the Lord is speaking of there is there's no blood covering for fellowship when you are intentionally living in sin as a believer, the most miserable place person on the first getting tongue tied. The most miserable person on the face of the planet is not the unbeliever who is deceived and blinded to their sin, but rather the believer who is living in a life they know they should not be. That's the most miserable person on the face of the planet. And when they are living in that way, there is no covering. Their fellowship is hindered. They pierce themselves through with many griefs. It doesn't mean, now I, I want to clarify this, it does not mean that their salvation is lost. And we'll, because our salvation is rooted in Christ, not in how good we are. If we believe that we are somehow saved by the grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus, and then somehow we're continuing to uh, be protected somehow by our own good works and our own good deeds after that, then we are sorely mistaken and sorely deceived. We are saved by the same grace and mercy that saved us in the beginning. It's still the grace and mercy. It's still the blood of Jesus and what He did. 
We can't earn our salvation to obtain it in the beginning, and we can't earn it, or I should say maintain it, by our righteousness. From beginning to end, all praise, all credit, all honor, all glory, all security rests in Christ. However, there is a difference between willful sin and unintentional sin in how it affects us and affects our walk with the Lord. And again, I I want to leave you with that illustration of a child. A child or a teenager. You you may picture in your mind a a two-year-old who is throwing a temper tantrum against mom and dad and not being obedient. Or you may picture a teenager that maybe is living in defiance and rebellion to their parents. And that is a time when uh, consequences have to be more strict, do they not? But you can also remember times when a child has done something wrong and they did not completely realize it. It was unintentional. Many times that happens with kids as they're growing up. They don't realize that certain things are wrong and you have to gently teach them and train them. Even as we grow older, there are things that we do not always realize are wrong. And when we have unintentionally broken a rule or unintentionally done something wrong, if it truly was unintentional, there tends to be more grace shown. I think we've illustrated that point quite well today. Today, I want to leave us, um, as we close out, with a little different ending. Sometimes I do this. But I want to encourage you to take the prayer time. And I know you may be listening to this in your car, listening to the podcast or something on your commute. And so I realize you can't close your eyes and pray. But I want to encourage you to take some time to pray. Pray about unintentional sin. Pray, pray about this in your own life. Um, today I'm not going to leave us corporately because I want to encourage you to individually take that time with the Lord and talk to Him about this matter. Talk to Him about what we've seen in His Word today and perhaps where the Holy Spirit's convicting you. So let's close out the podcast. And tomorrow, Lord willing, we will dive in as we continue in, I believe it's part four, of these promises in the promised land that the Lord is making. And we will come to seeing willful wrong. And we'll see how that is dealt with uh, next time. God bless you and look forward to seeing you tomorrow, so to speak, over the airwaves and opening God's word once again. God bless.